Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Unconfirmed, the show that reveals how the marquee names in crypto are reacting to the week's top headlines and gets the inside scoop on what they see on the horizon. I'm your host, Laura Shin, a journalist with over two decades of experience. I started covering crypto five years ago and as a senior editor at Forbes, was the first mainstream media reporter to cover cryptocurrency full time. Unchained and Unconfirmed are now published as videos. If you're not yet subscribed to the Unchained YouTube channel, head to youtube.com slash C slash Unchained Podcast and subscribe today. Crypto.com, the crypto super app that lets you buy, earn, and spend crypto. Earn up to 8.5% per year on your Bitcoin. Download the Crypto.com app now. Today's guest is Chad Cascarilla, CEO and co-founder of Paxos. Welcome, Chad. Hi, great to be here. Thanks for having me, Laura. So today, uh, being Thursday, not the day this comes out, um, it was announced that all PayPal users can now buy, hold, and sell cryptocurrencies, and your company, Paxos, is its partner enabling this service behind the scenes. Congratulations. What exactly is Paxos doing with PayPal? Yeah, this is a very exciting partnership for both ourselves and I think for really uh, the entire uh, crypto ecosystem. Um, And so we are offering a crypto brokerage service. And what this allows is um, any, anybody really to come in and have a turnkey solution to be able to offer crypto to their customers. And so very specifically, in the case of uh, PayPal, we're operating in the background um, as the custodian and the liquidity provider for them to be able to offer uh, crypto to their U.S. customers. And uh, those crypto services are Bitcoin, Ethereum, Bitcoin Cash, and Litecoin. And uh, we actually offer a very similar service uh, for Revolut, uh, amongst others. And so this is something that we're increasingly seeing uh, many different firms start to take up, uh, which is how can we offer crypto to our customers? How can we do it in a trustworthy way? How can we do it very quickly? And that way we can have a, a deeper relationship with our customers. We can acquire new customers. And really, we can be part of this ecosystem, which I think is very exciting and very dynamic and which um, has historically uh, you know, been kind of just an early adopter ecosystem. And I think it's, it's really going through a phase shift now. And I think um, that's what uh, we're doing with PayPal um, and what I think we're going to do more broadly for the whole ecosystem. And so how does a small company like Paxos convince a more than $200 billion company like PayPal to partner with it? Yes, well, that is, uh, I think, a great question because we've spent probably the last seven or eight years positioning ourselves exactly for this type of partnership. And so we have uh, really positioned ourselves as financial market infrastructure. Uh, and so that means, uh, really, in more common terms, a regulated platform. And a regulated platform is something that maybe isn't as needed in the early stages of a uh, industry's development because you tend to have uh, full-stack solutions that are offered. On the other hand, as you become more mature as, a, as an industry, um, you need uh, platforms where people don't have to build everything themselves, where they can come in and they can leverage other people's know-how and technology. And that's what we've done. And so ultimately, as uh, 
um, a regulated platform. We've built a regulatory stack, and that includes being the first company to be approved as a trust company in the state of New York to operate in crypto and blockchain. And that was in May of 2015. Started working on that in uh, 2012, some some time ago, uh, really very early days. Uh, there wasn't even Ethereum at the time we started working on the trust company. And the reason we did that is because we believed that uh, not just crypto, but crypto and blockchain would be able to transform financial services and that you would need an infrastructural layer. And so we built the trust company and we were the first one. We predated the bit license. That's how long ago this was. And then we went and got a number of other firsts. So we built, um, you know, give an example. We have access to the Federal Reserve National Settlement System. We're a full member of SWIFT. We have a no action letter from the SEC. So we have all of these things and we have plus more and more. Uh, and, and we were first in all of these things. And um, uh, doing that really set us up because we were asking for permission, not for forgiveness. And also because we set ourselves up as infrastructure, we're not trying to go acquire 20 or 30 or 50 million retail customers. We're not even really trying to acquire and institutional customers. Our goal is to be a B2B or a B2B2C company. And so that's exactly uh, what firms need who want to be able to come in, have an infrastructure provider that they can rely on, that they can trust, but also one that's not going to compete with them. Yeah, I do remember interviewing you in 2015 about that New York State Trust Charter. And at the time, understanding it was significant in some respect, but also not understanding why it would be useful. Um, So you briefly mentioned the uh, Paxos Crypto Brokerage, which is that service that you talked about. Can you just describe how it works on the back end? Yeah, definitely. And uh, I do remember that uh, 2015 conversation. You know, it's... (laughs) It's amazing that it's already been five years. It feels like it was yesterday, five and a half years. Um, and in some ways, we were just we were ahead of our time a little bit. And um, but we really believed that uh, crypto and blockchain, and we still believe it, are going to change the financial system. That they're going to replatform the financial system. And that doesn't mean you don't need regulation. And that's so that's always been our thesis. You need to be regulated in order to be able to create a trustworthy ecosystem. But at the same time. Um, you know, there's a, a moment in time when that becomes really relevant. And I think that's when there's this phase shift from early adopter to mainstream, which I think is exactly what we're undergoing right now. So it's, it's just an exciting moment, um, for us, uh, to be a part of that because ultimately I think that's what got us all excited about crypto and blockchain. Wow. You could actually change everything. And, um, you know, it wasn't meant to just be a small community. You want it to be something that's really big. And, um, I think that's the moment we have right now. So that's, uh, something we're proud to be a part of. And so for the brokerage, how it works on the back end? Yeah. So the way we have the crypto brokerage work is it's API based. So anyone can come in and they can plug their systems into ours. We offer custodial um, services. We offer liquidity services so they can buy and sell their crypto on behalf of their customers or their customers can directly. And you can integrate with us in actually uh, a couple different ways. Um, and we allow you to basically choose your own adventure with the APIs. And we did this deliberately. So we have some customers where they might not have um, licenses to be able to operate in the US. They can have their customers actually be housed and sit within Paxos. And this would be what we call a third-party integration. And so we have customers, they sit inside of us. Now, um, the the partner, um, their customers don't know that they're actually sitting inside Paxos. Unless you read the fine print, you would know if you looked. uh, But they're able to keep that end relationship. And so we're providing them with a regulatory umbrella as well as the custodial and liquidity benefits. And then you have other customers where um, they're highly regulated. An example would be PayPal. Um, 
but um, they are actually housing their conditional bit license inside Paxos. And so that was part of the press release. And so we're really proud that was the first conditional bit license that was created. It's what you need to be able to operate in the state of New York um, if you're not a bank. And so they um, uh, were able to receive a conditional bit license, and we provided the regulatory umbrella for that to be able to be housed. And, um, you know, again, we're providing custodial and liquidity services to them. Now, of course, you could have a bank that would come in, and they wouldn't necessarily need any of our uh, our regulatory umbrella uh, to operate at all, uh, but they would still want a regulated custodian, and they still want a safe liquidity pool. And so that's really what we're bringing here is different models for different types of firms. You could be a fintech, you could be a technology company, you could be a bank, you could be a broker. And we have different ways of being able to allow you to integrate seamlessly, turnkey way, turn on, buy, sell, hold, send and receive, you know, as you would like. You can kind of choose that part of the adventure too. Uh, But we're making this really easy and really seamless. And so PayPal has started with Bitcoin, Ether, Bitcoin Cash, and Litecoin. Are those cryptocurrencies that PayPal selected or are those simply what is available through Paxos Crypto Brokerage? Well, uh, I, they're actually overlapping Venn diagrams. I, that's what they were looking for. That's, I, that's what we had. Uh, we actually have authority to be able to custody and trade additional um, uh, tokens um, and in fact, uh, we, we have PAX Gold, which is one of our tokens. We have uh, PAX Dollars. So there are other products that we have uh, that weren't included in the crypto brokerage launch. But in terms of pure cryptocurrencies, those are the four that we have uh, that we're you know, uh, listing on both our exchange and really providing uh, constant custody for. So we're going we're to expand those as our customers need more product. Uh, but ultimately, um, we want to be customer driven. And, um, you know, there's a lot of questions as you start to get outside of those four or maybe, you know, a handful of others about whether there's securities or not. And I think that's always something that, um, you know, maybe creates a little bit of hesitation. For instance, Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash as a result, and Litecoin, which are very similar, and then Ethereum have essentially been grandfathered in um, by the SEC, uh, Bitcoin explicitly and Ethereum explicitly. Um, uh, And once you start getting out away from these top four, um, there's always a little bit of questions around them and um, uh, not just uh, for us, but just the the industry in general. And so that's something I think we just need to be sensitive about. In a moment, we'll discuss more about the regulations surrounding this. But first, a quick word from the sponsors who make this show possible. Crypto.com, the crypto super app that lets you buy, earn and spend crypto all in one place. Earn up to 8.5% per year on your BTC. Download the Crypto.com app now to see the interest rates you could be earning on BTC and more than 20 other coins. Once in the app, you can apply for the Crypto.com metal card, which pays you up to 8% cash back instantly. Reserve yours now in the Crypto.com app. Back to my conversation with Chad Cascarilla. So earlier we were discussing which cryptocurrencies you guys offer and the New York Department of Financial Services um, has other cryptocurrencies that it has whitelisted in particular, something like Zcash for Gemini um, or, or not just for Gemini, but this is, you know, how Gemini has listed that. So would the, cur- the um, assets on that list be the ones perhaps that would be up for discussion to be listed on PayPal or through the Paxos Crypto Brokerage Service? Yeah, so they have that uh, white listing, or I guess uh, the, I think they call it a green listing um, list. And uh, so a couple of our tokens are on there. Um, 
you know, um, our gold token, our dollar token, uh, the Gemini dollar tokens on there. And then there's really, I guess, um, Ripple that can be custodied, but not necessarily traded. And then I think there's just a handful of others. And so um, those are certainly very logical ones um, to, to for us to list. Um, really, that's up to PayPal whether or not they want to offer them to their customers. Um, but, you know, partly what we want to do is be customer driven about what we add into place. Uh, when you start looking at liquidity outside of the top, you know, four or five and certainly outside the top 10, you know, they, they're almost trading by appointment. They're, they're quite illiquid and, um, and relatively small cap. And so there's the old 80 20 rule. It applies to these traded assets just as much as it does to anything else. And so while there's lots of, uh, tokens, you know, 80% of the trading is happening in, you know, the top 20% or probably in this case, the top, you know, four tokens. And so I think everyone's always looking at, is this worth adding into place? You know, could this create more confusion? Um, how, how safe is this as a general uh, product offering for customers? So those are all the considerations that come into place and not just the regulatory approval. And so you mentioned the liquidity issue. I'm assuming that the brokerage will um, source liquidity across multiple exchanges around the world. Is that how that works? Well, we mainly source liquidity from our own exchange at the moment, uh, but we do use external liquidity providers. Uh, now we're integrating with more. And so our viewpoint is um, we want liquidity to be as safe as possible. And part of being safe is a couple of different things. Uh, the first is, uh, do you have um, an ability to uh, know the liquidity pool is clean? So is it regulatorily clean? And then secondly, do you have an ability to know who uh, your counterparties are so there's no counterparty risk? And so these are really important and really relevant in terms of making sure that um, you're not just providing liquidity, but you're providing the right kind of liquidity. So I have to say, I'm a little bit surprised because yesterday I did look at the ITBIT volume and for BTC, it was $18 million in volume yesterday and it was 78th in the world by volume. So it didn't seem like a super large marketplace. Yeah, well, I think there's a couple of components to that. First is uh, we're just a dollar, US dollar marketplace. So we're not, it's not trading against Tether. So you, I think you had to normalize uh, against exchanges where they're calling it dollar, but it's really a Tether pair. Um, and when you look at it like that, I think our volume is really not too much different from uh, some of the other U.S.-based marketplaces. But secondly, um, it's also about the tightness of the spreads. And so that's what's really important. So there's volume and then there's also tightness of the spreads. And so we have all the largest market makers are uh, trading on our exchange, offering really great prices. And we're able to trade away to other liquidity providers when needed. And so that's an important function as well. And I think that'll get bigger and bigger over time. One of the key risks for us when you trade away is, could you have counterparty risk? Could that counterparty fail? Who, how do you fund the trade? Do we have to send our assets out and then they send us the payment? You know, so you have to work through a lot of the logistics, um, which hopefully blockchain, by the way, should be solving, ironically. Uh, but there is this concept of replacement risk in case someone fails when you agree to a trade. And then there's counterparty risk, which is, is someone going to um, fail uh, when they send you the assets um, before you've received them? And so, um, you know, there's this real question around those. And I think the industry is coming up with some good solutions, side chains, other things. But it's, it makes it um, a little bit difficult to feel um, really safe trading at a lot of venues because you're inherently, um, you know, taking that counterparty risk um, when you use them. Yeah, although I guess you could also argue that you're spreading the risk out in case if there's issues with any one exchange. 
But, um, but anyway, I actually just also wanted to ask something a little bit, um, which I, I think I could probably assume the answer, but here we are with PayPal offering this now to its 346 million, um, active accounts. And as we all know, the two most popular blockchains, Bitcoin and Ethereum are seeing a volume of transactions that on many days will near the cap, sometimes causing delays or fees. So are you just kind of batching all the transactions to manage uh, that issue? Well, there's a couple of components to this. Um, so, uh, you know, PayPal um, is just launching in the U.S. So it's just for their U.S. customers. Um, but secondly, um, we are just batching um, when we're sending externally. And so that's market makers or others. But what PayPal is really doing is they're holding their crypto inside Paxos as custodian and they're sourcing liquidity inside Paxos. And so that means a lot of those activities don't have to move through the on-chain um, uh, issues that you're describing, mm-hmm. right? And so um, now at the end of the day, there's a knock-on effect because when there's lots of volume, uh, you know, the industry does a very good job of using market makers to kind of um, cross-balance across all these different institutions to be able to source liquidity. So inevitably, there is going to be some component of um, on-chain fees creating um, friction, and that friction will show up um, in execution prices no matter what, because it has to come from somewhere. And the same with the dollars. And so um, I think you know we get around that be- um, clogging of the network because essentially you're just getting you're just seeing the institutional batching of those movements because they're the one who are providing liquidity to the retail players on our platform. And Paxos also has the white label stablecoin business, which has enabled it to power the Huobi dollar and Binance USD. Is PayPal or is um, Paxos crypto brokerage working on adding stablecoins or are you working on even creating one specific to PayPal? Well, uh, from our crypto brokerage perspective, we can absolutely add in um, uh, any of our stablecoins to a customer if they would like them. Uh, and certainly, um, you know, that's something that PayPal might want to do. I can't really speak for where they want to go with their product roadmap. Uh, but, you know, we're obviously a very logical player to offer that type of product because we're the only one who's done a white label stable coin. We have regulated stable coins. Um, and the only other one is Gemini. And so uh, we've really spent a long time making sure that we have a primary regulator. We went through that at the beginning of the, of the conversation and creating the trust. And that's what's enabled us to now create regulated tokens. And that's what's unique. Our dollar tokens that we've issued for ourselves or for our partners are regulated. And so are uh, so is our gold token. Um, and so not only are we regulated, the tokens are regulated. That puts it at a whole different standard. And so we're happy to launch them for anybody who's interested in creating one and really being able to drive um, community engagement and I think some really significant customer acquisition benefits. Part of Paxos's partnership with PayPal is to offer custody of the crypto assets. And after the news about PayPal offering crypto buying and selling broke, Bloomberg reported that PayPal was in talks to buy crypto custodian Bitco. How would such an acquisition work in conjunction with the custody service that Paxos already provides? Well, you know, it's, you know, lots of things get reported in the press. It's, uh, you know, hard to know exactly what uh, will end up being materialized. But um, I think what's clear is, uh, the space is growing. Uh, people want to be able to have in-house capabilities. Uh, you also want to be able to rely on partners. Uh, no one would want a single point of failure. Um, and um, uh, we think that we're providing a great service that everyone can rely upon. 
but you, you know, people have different strategies and there's different capabilities and different things they want to do. Our uh, crypto brokerage product isn't cover all facets of uh, the crypto markets. Uh, it's not designed to. And uh, so there's reasons why um, I think firms over time will think about what should we build? What should we buy? Uh, who do we partner with? And um, we're definitely going to be in, uh, I think, most of those conversations. Uh, but at the same time, we're not trying to be all things to all people. And in addition to the brokerage and exchange, Paxos also has a blockchain-based equity settlement platform that received a no-action letter from the SEC. It launched with Credit Suisse and Societe Generale. How is this business going, and will you be adding new financial institutions? Yeah, so it's um, been going great. We have Instanet, uh, Nomura, we have SockGen, we have Credit Suisse, and we have another couple of firms that have agreed to join up, including uh, one that will be going live shortly. So that'll be an exciting announcement for us. Uh, I promise that uh, maybe talk to you a little more about that when it, when the news comes out. Uh, but then we have quite a great pipeline behind that. And what's interesting about um, settling uh, tokenized equities is uh, whether they're public or private is that it really solves a really big problem around capital that's tied up, um, uh, operating costs that exist in the system, but also it creates more access and it creates um, uh, new types of products that are possible. And that's the whole point of blockchain is that you're really upgrading assets to be on a blockchain rail. And sometimes it might be private chains. I think over time, they'll probably end up all on public chains personally over time. Uh, but you know, there's lots of steps in the journey. Um, but putting assets into uh, blockchain rails changed fundamentally how the fun- financial system will work. And the equities markets are the biggest part of the financial system. They're $45 trillion of market cap. It's you know, almost bewildering how big it is. You know, for crypto, as exciting as it is, it's only $350 billion market cap, right? <laughs> so it's, it's less than 1% the size of the U.S. equity markets. Um, and that's, you know, can you imagine the size of the global equity markets? I think it's something like $100 trillion. So there's so much opportunity uh, to change the financial system. And that's part of what we're trying to do is be a multi-asset custodian that holds assets, whether they're crypto, cash, securities, commodities, and upgrades them and puts them onto blockchain rails to move around. And so on the terms of equities, we've now uh, settled over 16,000 trades. We've been operating under the no action letter, which is deliberately meant to be um, limited in size and scope, uh, allows us to be live and to learn lessons. And we'll be filing a, filing a clearing agency registration, uh, hopefully shortly, uh, in which we will um, seek approval from the SEC to be a clearing agent. Uh, we would be one of really three clearing agents in the country, uh, the DTC, the OCC, which is the Options Clearing Corp, and ourselves. This will be a really huge um, accomplishment for us in the industry uh, because you will now have a piece of uh, regulatory infrastructure that can now move securities uh, in a highly regulated way, uh, but do it in uh, a blockchain-based system. Um, I think that'll be really seminal. And then would that be something that you would only use with with this product? Or is that something that could open you up to um, taking on other customers in other uh, ways? Oh, definitely. It's um, uh, a clearing agent is, is very powerful uh, regulatory um, umbrella. And so initially we'll be starting with just U.S. equities. But there's no reason why they can't expand to a whole variety of other types of uh, securities. Corporate bonds are a good example of them and others. And so the markets are very large. There's so much opportunity in, in um, what I would call traditional financial services to change how these assets move. And so we're trying to start actually very specifically, we're doing U.S. equities, but just broker to broker trades. Uh, there is an enormous uh, world out there of 
client side trades where you're allocating them to the underlying funds, um, securities lending trades, repo trades to help do funding, tri-party, um, uh, ETF movements, uh, cl- um, corporate bonds. You kind of go on and on and on. The markets are it's just enormous. I mean, it's a 10 or 15 year journey to address all of those parts of it. But in order to even get started on that journey, you actually have to be regulatorily approved. And so that's a key component of what we're doing. All right. Well, it'll be exciting to see how everything shakes out. And congratulations again on um, the PayPal deal. Thank you very much. Exciting times here. It's great to be with you. Thanks so much for coming on Unconfirmed. Thank you for having me. Don't forget, next up is the weekly news recap. Thanks for tuning in to this week's news recap. First headline, Ethereum chain accidentally splits in two. On Wednesday, what seemed to be a significant issue with Ethereum infrastructure provider Infura turned out to be the result of a bug in the Ethereum code that split the network's transaction history in two. The turmoil began when a major service outage struck Infura around 8 a.m. Coordinated Universal Time, prompting some exchanges, including Binance, to halt ETH and ERC-20 token withdrawals temporarily. As it turns out, the bug was actually intentionally triggered. Optimism co-founder and CEO Jinglen Wang tweeted an apology Wednesday evening, explaining that the Optimism team had noticed the bug, but after seeing that almost all nodes had upgraded to the fix, they, quote, decided to test the bug and see what would happen. This was boneheaded in hindsight, she wrote. The outage's actual cause was a bug in the Go Ethereum client, which is used by 80% of Ethereum applications. A chain split appears to have been triggered by the consensus bug Ethereum developers had quietly patched a year ago in the Geth v1.917 release. Geth team lead Peter Selegi posted in a blog that the team didn't warn people that this fixed a consensus bug because, quote, In the case of Ethereum, it takes a lot of time, weeks, months, to get node operators to update even to a scheduled hard fork. Highlighting that a release contains important consensus or denial of service fixes always runs the risk of someone trying to beat updaters to the punch punchline and taking the network down. Others called for increased transparency from Ethereum devs. Nikita Javorankov, leader developer at Blockchair, argued that the event constituted a consensus failure that could be, quote, the most serious issue Ethereum has faced since the DAO debacle four years ago. Infura and other service providers affected by the chain split have since fixed the issue by updating their nodes, with Infura posting a postmortem on its blog. The price of ETH itself was not affected at all by the snafu. Next headline, Bitcoin Price Roundup. For the first time in three years, Bitcoin surpassed $16,000 after a week of consolidating between 14 k and 16 k Bitcoin is now up 123% this year. Billionaire hedge fund investor Stanley Druckenmiller revealed that Bitcoin is a part of his portfolio. Anticipating a three to four year decline in the dollar, Druckenmiller said, quote, Frankly, if the gold bet works, the Bitcoin bet will probably work better because it's thinner, more illiquid, and has a lot more beta to it. Bridgewater Associates founder and co-chairman Ray Dalio said this week that should Bitcoin become, quote, material, he could foresee a time when governments would move to outlaw it. I have a feeling that if that were to happen, PayPal, Fidelity, Square, and other big companies would probably have something to say about that. 
Bloomberg's senior commodity strategist Mike McGlone says Bitcoin may break 20,000 in 2021, adding to his previous projection that Bitcoin could then experience a parabolic year. If you didn't catch my interview with Mike McGlone on Unconfirmed in May, check it out. Next headline. Crypto community optimistic about Gary Gensler leading Biden's financial policy transition team. President-elect Joe Biden has tapped former Commodity Futures Trading Commission Chairman Gary Gensler to lead his financial policy transition team and advise on Wall Street oversight during his administration. Gensler is well-versed in cryptocurrency and has testified before Congress on multiple occasions regarding cryptocurrency and blockchain technology. He staunchly opposed the notion that cryptocurrencies were nothing more than Ponzi schemes and has referred to blockchain technology as a changed catalyst. Putting Gensler in this role suggests that Biden's win will be, quote, a good thing for cryptocurrency, as Kristen Smith of the Blockchain Association told Fortune. Next headline. U.S. lawmakers criticize the OCC's focus on cryptocurrencies. In what appears to be the first substantial congressional critique of a financial regulator who favors cryptocurrency, six congressional members issued a letter Tuesday faulting acting OCC chief Brian Brooks, for prioritizing crypto during the ongoing health and economic crises brought on by COVID-19. The letter stated that Brooks should have no business bolstering crypto banking when millions of Americans need economic relief and said such actions could put, quote, the entire hierarchy of dollar-denominated financial assets at risk. In a blog post, Union Square Ventures' Fred Wilson wrote, quote, If the U.S. was developing, as is China, a digital currency stablecoin, a digital dollar, then those millions of at-risk individuals would have been able to receive their economic stimulus funds via any one of the popular mobile apps that support or will soon support digital assets, like Coinbase, Square, PayPal, Robinhood, and many more. It would have been less expensive by an order of magnitude or more, and much simpler to get funds to these at-risk individuals with blockchain-based assets versus outdated technologies like paper checks. Next headline, Asian Exchange Roundup. On the heels of two legal cases launched by the U.S. government against crypto derivatives exchange BitMEX, Binance has begun blocking U.S. users from its platform, directing them to withdraw funds within 90 days if they are based in the U.S. In a tweet Wednesday, Qcoin founder Johnny Liu said that the exchange had recovered 84% of affected assets from the $280 million hack in September, adding that further recovery details can't be revealed until the case is closed by law enforcement agencies. A month after OKX suspended on-chain crypto withdrawals, users have devised different ways to remove their crypto assets, often at a discount of at least 20%, using OKX's over-the-counter platform, internal transfers, and other riskier methods. During that same time, OKX's Bitcoin mining pool has lost nearly all of its hash rate power, with data showing the pool has fallen from producing close to 9,000 petahashes per second to only 20 petahashes per second now. Next headline, Bitcoin more equitably distributed than other cryptos. According to Coinmetrics, even as Bitcoin continues to be the primary crypto asset custodied by large financial institutions, Bitcoin looks more like a grassroots movement in terms of wealth inequality. The first metric, supply equality ratio, is the ratio of the poorest accounts, the sum held by all accounts with a balance less than 0.00001% of the supply, against the richest accounts, which is the total held by all the top 1% of addresses. Compared to other crypto assets, Bitcoin's supply equality ratio is much higher at 0.08 compared to below 0.04 for Ethereum. 
Coinmetrics also looked at the supply dispersion through a metric called the network distribution factor, a ratio encompassing a broader economic group more equivalent to middle and lower classes, which is calculated by taking the aggregate supply in addresses holding more than 0.01% of a crypto asset supply and dividing that by the total supply. Bitcoin continues to have the highest distribution factor, greater than 0.6 compared to 0.5 for Decred. Next headline. Everything you wanted to know about oracles. It's commonly known in the crypto community that oracles are a tricky thing to use and implement well. But this post by Sam Sun, a security researcher now at Paradigm, goes into all the ways price oracles can be manipulated. He starts with a real-life example of someone who wanted to go backstage at a concert to meet the band. I understand this um, feeling. And so updated its Wikipedia page to say he was a family member right before he approached the security guards. Then Sam walks through several examples of how price oracles have malfunctioned or been manipulated, starting with the time a Korean, a broken Korean won price oracle on synthetics enabled a trading bot to make off with $1 billion, which I've discussed with Kane Warwick's of synthetics on Unchained. You should definitely check out that interview if you haven't already. Other examples Sam gives are people manipulating prices on Uniswap, where prices are constantly fluctuating. He says, quote, trying to read that price accurately is like reading the the weight on a scale before it's finished settling. There are numerous examples in his post, so if you want to have a greater understanding of how your DeFi trades could go wrong, this would be an excellent post to check out. Time for fun bits. Ethereum 2.0 Community Staking Grants. Are you interested in building up the ETH2 staking and validator community? If so, the Ethereum Foundation is sponsoring a wave of ETH2 staking community grants, quote, funding the creation of tools, documentation, and resources to make for a delightful staking and validator experience. Anyone is free to participate and proposals are due by December 22nd, 2020. All right, that's it. Thanks for tuning in. To learn more about Chad, Paxos, and the PayPal partnership, be sure to check out the links in the show notes of this episode. Don't forget, we are now on YouTube. Subscribe to the Unchained Podcast YouTube channel today. Unconfirmed is produced by me, Laura Shin, with help from Anthony Yoon, Daniel Ness, Bossy Baker, Shashank, and the team at CLK Transcription. Thanks for listening.